0: Thank you for joining us again at the Sacred Birth Circle. Today's guest is someone with a very unique perspective as a NICU nurse who also unfortunately experienced a stillbirth. We hope that you will share this episode on social media so that we can continue to reach more families and help empower them throughout their pregnancy journey. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Sacred Birth Circle. I'm Anna Vick. Thank you so much for joining us again. Today's guest is one of my favorite friends. I think I say that every episode, and I actually do mean it, though, because I love every one of these people that I've been bringing on, but Angelica is somebody who I've been connected with for a while now, sadly through our shared grief and our loss of our children, but also just in the work that we're doing now together. She's just a very strong advocate for change and prevention of stillbirth, and she also is with Count the Kicks now as well as Push for Empowered Pregnancy. So we're working together side by side here in this battle against stillbirth. So I want to let you introduce yourself first and let us know a little bit about your backgrounds and you know what you do for work, which is kind of part of this story here.
1: My name is Angelica kobach Um I am a mother of three, one living daughter, and uh, and unfortunately, two boys who have lost to stillbirth and miscarriage respectively um I am also a nurse I've been a nurse uh for almost
2: 10 years and uh oh goodness I want to say eight no it'll be about six, there we go. <laughs> That's
1: the right number. Six years um, have been spent in the NICU, um,
2: the neonatal ICU. Uh, I, have been with push from powered pregnancy for
1: a couple of years now and just started as an ambassador for Count the Kicks. So I haven't really gotten much, you know done. Um, but I hope to to be a strong advocate for change.
0: Thank you, Angelica. So first, I just wanted to share a little bit about your job because that's important for this story too, I think, and that you've seen kind of every type of outcome and scenario with, you know, difficult births and the traumas that come in, and you know, babies that are quite small that survive. How has that been for you just as a job? I just want to hear a little bit share your experience and you know what that's taught you about birth.
1: Um, i I really love loved my job. i I have kind of a complex relationship with it now, following the loss of of my my boys. But it's overall very rewarding to see these babies come to you um to stabilize them and to you know to watch them go from being either very small very sick to um growing thriving and being able to go home in most cases um when you are oriented to the NICU you are basically sent into um a really in-depth look at neonatology specifically because as as with pretty much anything in school you look at kind of the big broad picture when you get your degree and then when you have a specialty you know you need to learn a little bit more about the types of diagnoses that you'll that you'll be exposed to when i first started in the nicu I was, I was actually pregnant with my daughter, my oldest child, and um, I was basically learning about all of the different things that can happen in pregnancy that might negatively impact the infant. And a lot of these things are,
2: are the types of, of um, events that could lead to stillbirth. In addition to whatever complex,
1: um, whatever complex means, hospitalization are required for our babies who do end up making it. So it's um, and and we care for um, babies of every age and size. Uh, age of viability is about twenty four weeks. Although we have had a couple of 22, 23 weekers that we have been able to stabilize and, and send home um, after very long hospitalization courses. Um, I am very passionate about stillbirth prevention, though, because I see a lot of
2: the the a lot of the near misses, you know, um, women that go
1: to you know 40 plus weeks and you have meconium aspiration um shoulder dystocia you have um severe birth trauma because uh you know maybe the doctor doesn't want doesn't want the c-section or the mother doesn't want the c-section and so um you know using forceps with some, some something like eighteen pulls, or um, using the vacuum, and in the with the vacuum, you're only allowed three pop offs because you don't want there to be any head trauma. Um, and and we've seen instances where there have been more than that. Um, we also have seen babies who um, who were born either at home or at birth centers and are unresponsive
2: and are stabilized, um, in the ambulance or in the
1: emergency room. And they're old enough, big enough that we can, uh, cool them. It's to prevent any more damage to the brain than has already happened. And, um, for 72 hours they are cooled and then we very gradually rewarm them and then take a look at their brain function to make sure that there isn't any further damage and some of the cases have been very
2: very sad um and so i i feel like i'm on the wrong end of
1: nursing if i want to prevent stillbirth, prevent these types
2: of complications. Um, But I I find that it is helpful
1: to see the types of interventions that we have to prevent stillbirth. You know, um, if you know that there is an issue early enough, then you can be proactive. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's me. I, I don't know if I.
2: Fully yeah, answered no, that's,
0: that question. That's definitely, like, I think you hit everything that I wanted you to in five minutes. So it's great. <laughs> like what else are we going to talk about? But now the story about the near misses is really interesting to me because I think a lot of people who have good outcomes, but say they decide to do things a little bit riskier in their birth or even the pregnancies. And then they can come onto social media and say, oh, well, my baby was fine. Like with the nuchal cord around the neck twice, like that's no problem. You know, anyone can have birth wherever they want because my baby survived. I think it's hard because those people are not saying like, what's the risk? Like what was, you know, they don't actually know possibly that they were a near miss. They might just think like, this is normal. Like this is fine to happen this way. And so they have no clue, right? That their baby could have been in danger of a stillbirth. or, you know, maybe just developmental issues. And that's about it. But that's still hard, you know, to grow up like that. So it's tough when you see stories on social media shared that are very glamorized about certain scenarios. And, you know, we are all for everyone having the type of birth they desire, but we think you should know the risks involved. And I think knowing that, then you can really truly make an informed decision. You know, I don't think it's an informed decision if people are just making it out to be very safe, very perfect, you know, pleasant, beautiful, and not telling you that, you know, if there is cause for concern and your baby needs to be delivered quicker, you know, or has an issue after they come out, where are you? Like, you need to be in a place where you hopefully have the right team there ready for you. Even a NICU team, like the one that worked on my son, they were a lower level NICU team. And I always thought if I'd only gone to the other hospital with a higher level NICU team who knows you know he could have been here so for me it's really hard because I always think to myself like I wasn't thinking I was delivering that night I was assuming I was just checking on him and I was being kind of a crazy mom you know freaking out over movements
2: yeah. but
0: you know I really wish I had gone into to the hospital that I had planned to deliver him at that had the higher level and seen, you know that they could do much more I'm sure I don't know how different the care is at a higher level NICU than a you know, where I
1: went, but every, every NICU is, um, every, so every nurse, at least in, in our state and in our health system that interacts with newborns is required to take a, um, or be certified in the neonatal resuscitation program, NRP, um, which is, is like, Basic life support, um, CPR, but it's very specialized, and and so there are def- there's
2: definitely um, a difference in the different levels. Based, it's more I think um, based on the level of acuity. That, that the NICU feels comfortable with.
1: Um, so if you have a smaller NICU and they see fewer traumatic birds, most birds are pretty front of the mill. They may not feel as comfortable with the resuscitation process. Um, but because of that, I know that a lot of those nursing teams receive supplemental orientation so periodically they'll come to the larger NICU so that so that they can be exposed to that type of care so that they know how to stabilize an infant before transferring that child to um, a higher level of acuity you. um and, and it's amazing it really is amazing i know that you're talking a little bit about the the near misses mm-hmm. it's incredible and heartbreaking to me because i will get report from a nurse and we'll just be talking like you know they'll they'll be going through the the baby's birth history and say oh it was a placental eruption um you know, partial a partial abruption or a full abruption, or you know, triple nuchal cord with meconium aspiration. And I, I know that a lot of the things that we're talking about are pretty, you know, run of the mill. We see them a
2: lot. But I, after losing my son Ezra, I think those instances they they kind of knock the wind
1: out of me. Because I think to myself, this baby is a miracle, baby. It is a miracle that this child is here. Um, and, and you're right about, you know, about the level of of skill, um, the level, how, how that is different,
2: you know, at lower levels versus, you know, level three, level four. Um, but I, I think that ultimately having had the
1: support that you did, the, the healthcare be, being in that environment in the first place is extremely important just to have that access in case something happens. hmm
0: Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth on social media about this. But I think some people feel like if you allow fear into your birth, then all these things will happen. But I was not afraid of stillbirth. I didn't know anything about it. You know, so when it happened to me, I literally just felt a change of movement, started freaking out, started Googling, which you should not do. You should hopefully already know that you should be kick counting throughout pregnancy. At that point, you would already know this is different for my baby. I'm going to go in. But I had to do my kick counts, I had to figure out because I just had a long day and I was like, there must be something, you know, he's sleeping, it's so late. And so I started reading online what to do and doing the ice water and all that stuff, which you should not do because you're just trying to, you know, make a baby move who might already be telling you they're unwell. Mm -hmm. Um, And he didn't really react. So I started to panic and I just got my clothes on, you know, I called the ER, they said, eat a meal and take another two hours, which of course I didn't, I was already like panicking. Uh, So I put my clothes on and ran over there by myself thinking it was just a you know, false alarm really. I mean, I never never heard of a baby dying for no reason, just like that, like in a healthy pregnancy. So for me, it was like a total shocker. And like, I know you said you've seen it all and a lot of people find it very like shocking when someone in the medical system has a stillbirth because they kind of think, you guys would know, like, and I know you knew about silver. So you were noticing movement and all that sort of thing. But again, you didn't think it could happen to you either because of the health of your baby throughout your pregnancy. Right. Is that pretty much how you felt? And not that you didn't do what you should do, but you know, you weren't even thinking that was the situation for you either.
1: I was definitely fearful, um, through all three of my pregnancies. Um, With Ezra, my second child, I I felt like something bad was going to happen, just had this feeling of impending doom the entire time. Um, But I feel like our stories align a little bit, because when I started to notice that something was off and I was at work, Felt normal movement in the morning, normal movement in you know kind of the lunch hour, and then my shift got crazy, and I just wasn't paying very much attention. But I sat down to chart, and he he wasn't moving, and I was drinking cold water already. He wasn't moving. Um, and alarm bells were going off in my head, but you know, kind of like you said, I I ignored it. I thought to myself. It's all in my head. I'm a habitually overly anxious person anyway. So this is probably nothing. And um I waited about four hours before I finally went in. But even as you know, a healthcare provider, not not fully understanding that the 10 kicks in two hours is outdated. Um I I think I lasted about 23 minutes when I did my kick count. And then I went in
2: by myself in the middle of the night, (laughs) you know, like you do. It's just, it's difficult because the, for, despite
1: having read as much as I did, despite knowing as much as I do, I still felt the way that a lot of expectant parents feel when it comes to asking for help. They don't want to be a bother. They don't want to be a pest. Maybe
2: at one point or another, a healthcare provider has made them feel like they are a pest. But the truth is that you should feel empowered to go in anytime
1: that you feel that there is something wrong. You should feel like your healthcare providers are there to help you because they are. That that's
2: the whole reason why they exist, why that job exists is to be there to help you
1: when you are scared, to be a reassuring, um, a force of reassurance that you are doing everything right for you and for your baby and the night that my son died i i didn't want to be perceived as that overly anxious hysterical pregnant
2: individual and i didn't go in until it was too late um and that kills me that just kills me I should have never left the hospital the moment
1: that I felt something was off I should have walked down the hall because
2: you know triage is right down the hall from where I work but I didn't yeah and you didn't actually feel it changed the days before because in my
0: situation I think in yours as well the cord mm-hmm. compressions that happened were for days it wasn't just an acute, you know, cord knot that got pulled right away or around, you know, nuchal cord, right. so It would have had to have been several days of a change that we would have noticed and said something about because that's what I go back to count the kicks and stuff because I think mm-hmm. that would have been my only hope because I don't think, you know, no doctor checks for the cord blood flow, especially for low risk pregnancy. There would have been no chance they would have caught it. So it would have really had to been up to me to notice it for days before. And where, you know, your baby can still act normal because he's continuously recovering. And, you know, it's like a short amount of time that the cord is compressed and not compressed, you know? So enough times though to cause the damage to the, all the organs and such. So for me, I don't blame myself and I hope you don't either because that would have been so hard to notice that and to be there at the exact moment because I think I went in and yet he was alive and yet, you know, they took him out crash c-section and they couldn't resuscitate because of all this that already happened so I mean it would have been I wouldn't have thought of it at all because no one warned me about kick counting how to properly do it um, why are you doing this like stillbirth prevention like anybody could have a stillbirth even a low-risk pregnancy like ours Mm -hmm. all this stuff like I had none of that education so for me I feel like, why would I have imagined that my son was acting differently? And even if it was just like a little slower one day, like I would have never thought that. So that's where we go with like, everyone should know about stillbirth. Everybody should be informed. You know, it's not to panic you or freak you out about it. But like you get on a plane and they're going to tell you what to do in case this plane crashes. So this is the same situation we feel Mm -hmm. like. So don't act like we're children, you know, like tell us information we need to protect our children because we are adults, you know, women can take all this information in. I mean, we talk about listeria, we talk about all the other things that could potentially lead to this, but the main thing is fetal movement that shows up in all the studies. Like a lot of parents have, who have had a stillbirth have said like, there's a change in movement. And that was their only indication before their child, you know, had this problem. So we're like, everyone should be educated at their doctor's appointments. And I feel like they only reserve that for the high-risk patients and they don't want to freak everyone else out. And that's really sad to me because it's like, you're totally missing an opportunity to save so many babies with
2: that.
1: And the thing is that you take your baby home and they teach you about how to properly place them in a car seat in case you get into a car accident. You know, um, they teach you about appropriate sleep to prevent SIDS. All of these really scary scenarios are constantly being introduced to us, but stillbirth is not one that is talked about often enough. Um,
0: For me, it seems really like the reason why it's continuing to be the same. Our rate is the same for many decades now here in the United States and we're not changing anything. There's no protocol that the doctors have to discuss this. Mine was given to me, supposedly he said, I think that you should have gotten it in the pamphlet like that you got when you got pregnant, which a bunch of other pamphlets were in this bag. And so it's like, so along with like the vitamin ads and everything else that's not so important, you threw in like the most important thing that you think (laughs) a parent should know to prevent stillbirth. And you didn't even mention it ever again. And some people get mentioned it later, like, oh, is baby moving okay today? Like very casual, conversational. No one ever influenced or emphasizes that. Like, we're asking you this because if there is a change, you need to do this, you know? You need to come in right away. So that's what's so, like, it just infuriates me because I'm thinking, had this doctor, even at the 20 week mark, when my baby started to have some movements, or hopefully closer to when they have a pattern at 26 weeks or 28 weeks if you came in they could be like now's the time you need to pay attention if you see anything like less or more frantic come on in we want to see you doesn't matter how many times doesn't matter if you think it's nothing if you have a feeling a gut instinct you know you need to follow that so Yeah, I feel like there's a huge failure there of education and I don't get it. I don't think it's acceptable. And obviously we're trying what we can on our end with all these charity work uh, we're doing, but it really feels like it's up to ACOG and I keep tagging them all the time. I'm sure they're kind of like, who's this person? You know, We're emailing and trying to get in touch with them about fetal movement education because they think that doctors do this. They think that they're supposed to be doing this and it's part of standard care. But I can't tell you how many parents tell me that they have never had that mention.
1: The lack of consistency in education is the most alarming thing, I think. Um, just because you get some individuals who receive really stellar education, they feel like they're really prepared. You Then you have other um, other individuals who just fall through the cracks. And they experienced something as heartbreaking as this and they never they never they never had a chance is is point. It's just that they never had a chance because nobody gave them the education they needed. And
2: knowledge is power. It really is knowledge is power. And do you see a lot of the parents coming in
0: with these babies I get delivered you know, early saying stuff about the fetal movement or why are they coming in as like pain, like listen to abruption or something like, what are mostly like, you know, the reasons that these babies are getting pulled out early?
1: Uh, Pain, preterm labor. uh, it, It kind of runs the gamut. It really does. And we start to see some trends sometimes. So sometimes we'll have a bunch of kiddos who um, who are in simply because their their mothers went into preterm labor. Um, sometimes we'll have runs and runs of meconium aspiration. It it really just kind of depends, um, and we talk at the very beginning of the baby's life about the delivery history because that's the only history that a child will have is the history that they that they acquire from their parent um
2: but as they get older that also doesn't doesn't always get talked about a whole lot
1: so sometimes parents will say things about
2: the experience that will just it, it, it makes me think to myself, you were very, very lucky that you were here or
1: you were very smart to come in when you did. Um,
2: and they didn't even realize that what they did was in any way heroic. Um, But we do we do see a lot of, of babies
1: that are born to pre, born that are born prematurely. their, their parent, the pregnant parent just goes into preterm labor and um, maybe any of the extra complications that we see are discovered simply because that, that pregnant individual is already in antipartam and being constantly monitored. So it just, It really depends, but I do occasionally hear stories that, um, that sound like baby saves to me, even though these parents don't realize that they saved their baby's life.
0: Yeah. I know I have this one real on my Instagram here. That is just like going wild all the time with comments and people are sharing either a loss, unfortunately, like myself, where it was like, the change of movement happened and my baby wasn't either there anymore. couldn't make it, but a lot of them are actually saves, which I'm starting to share a little bit because I think people don't think about that. Like obviously count the kicks is sharing baby saves all the time. So if you take the time to read those stories, you'll see like the fact that this parent came in for change of movement and delivered. And there was something there, like a reason why and they had to be delivered and otherwise they could have been another stillbirth. Uh, which is really, really incredible. I think it's like proof in the pudding, you know, like this is so important. You need to be doing this and have the app, you know, it's free, you can be doing that. It helps you just to kind of remind you to do it every day. And you have that graph that will then show your provider if you ever come in, like, here's the dip, you know, and they'll take it a little bit more seriously, we hope, which is the other problem, having a provider that listens to you that then takes action and does more than just, you know, check a heartbeat, which can be there until the baby's gone. So uh, what do you recommend for that? Like finding a good provider that you feel is going to take action when needed to get your baby out? Because I feel like some doctors are scared to get babies in the NICU and like, they don't want to risk that liability, you know, pulling a baby too soon.
1: Well, and when it comes to, When it comes to obstetrics, I know that it's been mentioned before in some of the lives that we've done in the past or, um, you know, or some of the lives that you've done with other individuals, but the name of the game when it comes to obstetrics is
2: in or out, you know, at at what point do you take that baby? At what point? do you deliver, you know, and um, it's when it comes to finding a provider who is going to be a champion for you, it helps ultimately if
1: before you're pregnant, you find somebody who's on board with all of the things that you need. And that could be um, estimated placental volume, just measuring that placenta, um, kind of armoring yourself with the knowledge that that comes from count the kicks, uh, and and organizations
2: that will will get you information about how to prevent stillbirth. Um, I think the hardest thing, one of the most difficult issues that pregnancy after loss parents have encountered, is finding
1: a provider who will do estimated placental volume, um, who will maybe do some of the extra testing um, for clotting
2: disorders. It's it's like It's like Sam says all the time, you have to
1: really vote with your feet and go to a different provider if the one that you have found is not on board with what you need and that can be a difficult thing. It could be hard to find somebody who is going to be there for you to provide the care that you. You deserve, honestly, um every pregnant individual deserves the level of care that a pregnancy after loss parent receives, period. The fact that it's not standard of care is
2: just tragic to me. It's, it's not okay. But if you find somebody who is on board
1: with doing everything that you feel that you need, then you've
2: struck gold. Hmm. And I think
0: like the biggest thing is because of the way pregnancy is talked about, like that you can do it at home by yourself, or it doesn't really matter who your provider is, like your body is going to know what to do. And your baby's going to know how to be born when he needs to be all this talk, I think actually is making women second guess themselves even more in a way, because if you feel something like intuitively, is wrong, then you're like, no, no, I'm just freaking out. I'm just being fearful, you know? So you try to like quiet that and just, you know, trust your body, trust your baby and that sort of thing. And I think that's where I get so frustrated with that whole line of discussion, because I think it's beautiful and nice and it's good to go into things with like the best, you know, intentions and, you know, feeling great and giving your baby all the good vibes. But then you're not taking seriously certain signs or you know risk factors that you might have. So for me, I just wanna make sure that people who are listening, who are pregnant, take in the fact that stillbirth happens actually more often in low-risk pregnancies. And so that is our case here. And we were perfect, healthy, normal pregnancies up until when it happens. So we all need to take All of this very seriously, you know, all the way through. And if you're planning whatever type of birth you're planning, at any point, if you have concerns, you need to get checked out and as thoroughly as possible because they might do certain tests and not others. They might do an NST, which is great, you know, put you on there and check everything, but that might not be long enough. You know, you might want to be overnight if you still feel like you aren't reassured, which is what Dr. Florescu always says, one of our advisors at PUSH. You know, you need to be the one that's reassured and the provider should be asking you that. Are you feeling better now? Are you reassured with everything that we've shown you that your baby's fine now? Don't go home without your baby. I mean, that's what I had to do for my pregnancy after loss. I was just like, I'm not leaving (laughs) at this point. I had low fluids. I've had all these complications. I've had a stillbirth. I've had two miscarriages. We were at the end zone, you know, the past 37 weeks. I said, I'm not leaving without my baby. If you want, go ahead and take them out now but he ended up keeping me the last week there. And I was so happy to be on a monitor the entire time. Like that was the only time I rested at all in the pregnancy because I was like so afraid I was gonna miss a change in the movement. So of course, at the end, he did start to want to be born earlier than we thought. So it was 37 and a half weeks, I had some contractions and then I got to have my C-section, but I wasn't willing to go home, you know, because I already knew I had low fluid. I'm like, I'm not letting, this happened again, you know, but I was totally in a different mindset because I realized the risk was there.
1: Well, and so when I was in nursing school, I remember I remember one of my professors talking to us about when, when to ask for a second set of eyes, you know, when to say, I don't feel good about this. Something feel, doesn't feel right about what I'm seeing. I need somebody else to take a look. And they said that if that sometimes there's just a gut feeling that nurses get. I feel like that's the case with humanity, with anybody. Um, another thing that they said was to listen to somebody if they were very afraid, if suddenly they had these feelings of impending doom. You know, it's it's hard to give in to
2: the the fear that you have but that is your body also telling you something that something is is not quite right
1: listen to it and trust it trust that you know what you're doing but you know if if your mantra is my body and my baby know what's going on and they are the ones who will guide me through this birth process, then listen to that fear. Listen to that gut feeling that something is not quite right. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for help when that feeling does
2: come. Because you, you know, you are, are more powerful than you think you are. You really are.
0: So you just said, listen to your fear. And I put into Instagram birth without fear. And there's at least I don't know how many accounts that go with that. I don't even know if that's a thing. Um, Special hashtag. So it's really funny and ironic that there are people out there that want us to birth without fear. Um, And yet the fear I think is instinctual. It's something that anyone, you know, they compare us to mammals all the time on these accounts, like, they are able to give birth without a doctor. Why do you need it? You know, like, well, the mammals also have instinctual fear and they know how to protect their offspring in certain situations. So um, yeah, I just, I have a hard time (laughs) with all that. So like, you kind of need the fear to alert you, you need to know about it, not to be afraid all the time, but to be aware and to be doing what you need to do. I do have fear now. I mean, my children are out now other than the one loss and our miscarriages that the other two are here and out of my body you know running around and I'm afraid for my life every day still you know as a parent because you do you worry about your kids you're gonna worry about them the rest of their lives right so
1: that's the reason why you you worry when you smell smoke Mm -hmm. or you know um why our taste buds are are equipped to detect something like why why it is that we don't like certain certain food certain tastes because it tastes poisonous you know those are your that's that's your body telling you that something is not right and so in regard to you and your baby just make sure that you're listening to that too um there have been several accounts at least with my my nursing professors and my nursing peers where they've said you know The patient just looked at me and said that they don't feel quite right. They can't put their finger on what it is. That's not right, but they know that something is not right. And lo and behold, you find out that maybe there was a GI bleed that you wouldn't have noticed until much later, or um, they're experiencing a heart attack. Maybe you have a, a woman who's, who's experiencing like just just a lot of, um, fear, anxiety, um, in addition to like acid reflux or something like this, this doesn't feel right. And, you know, listening to that is important. Listening to that saves their lives. Listening to
2: that saves your baby's life. Trust it. I love that. And I'm going to let you end on that, Angelica, because I
0: know we started late and it was my fault. Life happens, right? We have um, with Pusher Empowered Pregnancy, we're celebrating the National Rainbow Baby Day. And I was posting a cute little reel of all the babies that have come after loss. So anyone who wants to watch that, go check it out on that account. But you know, we celebrate them because it is such a miracle, like you're saying earlier, that any of these babies are here, especially after loss, because we actually have a higher risk of stillbirth. So for our pregnancies to go well, we do need an additional level of care. And thankfully, you know, some of that is available now. We do have the Rainbow Clinic in Mount Sinai. So if anybody is pregnant again, please check that out if you're in that area. If you want training, if you're a provider, there is a Rainbow Clinic training available as well through Push for Empowered Pregnancy. So we welcome you to check all of that out. And we thank you all for listening. I know this is always a difficult conversations when we actually talk about the real stuff, but I think that's what we need in this time. I mean, that's the only
2: way we're gonna prevent losses is yeah. by discussing them.
1: We want to prevent you from feeling the, the, ache, the heartache that you do on a regular basis. Um, as a nurse, I think I had some degree of understanding of what it was like to lose child you know, I'd, I'd witnessed it happen before and my heart broke for these families. But what I saw or what you read, what you you know hear about on social media and the heartache that you feel, it doesn't even scratch the surface of what it actually feels like to lose a child. And it is our endeavor to make sure that nobody
2: ever feels this pain ever again, if we can help it.
0: Right. And we welcome you all to join us too at the Big Push March in Washington, DC, which is October 15th for pregnancy and loss awareness a month. It'll be a time for anyone to come together. You can do it virtually as well. So please sign up for that, thebigpushmarch.org and let us know that you're there to raise awareness about this and the more we discuss it and the more people outside of the lost community know about it, the less people that will have to come into the community. So thank you again, Angelica. I love you so much. I love Ezra. I love Fletcher. I love all your babies. (laughs) It's so funny how much we get to know each other and our babies through each other. So thank you for sharing them with us.
1: I love you too.
0: (laughs) Everybody have a nice day. Goodbye. Angelica is such a sweet, wonderful mother and advocate. I hope that you gained some great information from this episode. I know that it was sad and somewhat scary, but we think that you deserve to know all the information. Remember to share this episode on social media so you can help others in your circle grow their knowledge and have a better birth outcome. Remember that all the posts that we share and our episodes are not meant to be medical advice. We are simply trying to help you and inform you as you continue your pregnancy but always remember that you should consult your provider if you have any questions or concerns they're there to help you and they are available to you 24 7 even if you have to go into the hospital at er again follow us on social media to continue up to date with our next episodes and our posts and feel free to connect with us in the dms if you have any questions we would be happy to be there for you you are not alone this is your community and we hope that you will continue to watch our future and past episodes to continue to add to your knowledge as we interview birth workers, providers, researchers, and even people who have experienced different births so that when you get to
2: your birth you'll be a little bit more informed and prepared for whatever comes your way. Goodbye for now!